Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobile World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Welcome to Episode 7, recorded on November 20th, 2020. I'm Alan Cross, along with Locomobile World founder and CEO Grant Furlane. And this episode's guest is Carter Lee, the CEO and co-founder of Switch Energy, a Toronto-based company that is deep into the world of electric vehicles, specifically how they can be charged while parked in big buildings, both residential and commercial. First, though, here's Grant with some of his collection of tech news. All right. What do you got for us this week? Well, let's talk about Smart City. Okay. Uh, Shanghai was just named Smart City of the World. Shanghai? Smart City by and by, remember, by the Smart World Congress, which is very important. They're, they're a big body, huge body. Um, now, to you, you're, people are going to go what you just said. So let me go back 30 years. So when they're building the new Shanghai train station, I was involved in the project with the... Uh, this is the maglev thing. Huh? This is the maglev train. Oh, it was just train station. Oh, the, the station. Just That's the train certain. station. Okay. All right. no, no. They're building a new station. And I was there and we were at the development, what they called the transportation department's office. That's what they called it, the Chinese government. And inside was this model on a table. And it had, I'm going to say, you know, this typical model with my little white towers all over the place. Mm-hmm. I said, what's that? That's Pudong. Oh, I know Pudong. That's across the river. Well, we'll link it in a tunnel. Great. And we're going to build this city. What do you mean? We're going to build it. And there's probably 100 buildings, Alan. So when are you going to start now? When are you going to finish? Five years. <laughs> Alan? Yeah. They finished in five years. Yeah, of course they did. That's um, So my point is, don't be shocked. Now, as you know, I've been there a million times, and we have offices in Wuxi. But um, Shanghai is, people don't get it. I try to tell people when I come back here, you just don't get it. That's the one Chinese city that I have not visited. It's um, it's New York, Toronto, or San Francisco on steroids. Because I would have assumed that the smartest city in the world would be Singapore. And it's there too. No, 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 it's there. Singapore every year is on the list. No, no, you're right. Kuala Lumpur and, and as well. Um, but um, I'm telling you, every time I go to Shanghai, I shake my head at, oh, I've never seen that before. So I'm not shocked. When they're building smart cities in China, whole smart cities. I mean, the whole downtown, empty, ready to go. Okay, so there's 15 of them. So I'm not shocked at Shanghai. I just thought it'd be interesting to say, hey, we follow them. I'm not um, surprised. What are they doing? What what makes them smart? Oh, because they put in all the networking and they they, they go ahead and try all the initiatives that we try here. And I'll tell you why. Um, they're not trying to get a clean city because it's good for them. They need a clean city because they won't be around as a population if they don't start up. Okay, so this is a need to be cleaner energy, more efficient, better transportation. It all comes down to the same thing. Um, underground highways, um, high-speed electric trains, uh, you know, giving um, electric cars are the only ones that I think they're going to have no electric cars, you have to be all electric by 2030 or 2030. Um, they're serious. Why? I want to say it again. I think initially, this is why. 
they realized it was so smog and so we talk about everyone walking around with their masks. They did that 25 years well, ago. Well, they had to because they Correct. Were- and so I think it's led them to this surge. And with that, they are the best learners in the world. And we'll call them copiers if you want. Um, but the fact is, they want to have the best of everything. So they do. I have been to Beijing, oh, well. where I have uh, the Wunsheng, uh, one, uh, a pedestrian mall. And visibility on this March day was 300 meters because of smog. Yeah, well, most people think it's raining every day. I go, it's not raining. Oh, it's one it's not <laughs> I, I was in our place Alan and, and my partner was and he goes Grant it's rainy today oh no if we see the sun while we're here you'll be lucky what else you got okay so that's cool um, well last time you talked I asked you if you had your Iron Man suit and you said you didn't and I was a little disappointed <laughs> yeah and then we talked about this company in Britain building the suit that flies around like Iron Man so I'm going to ask you the next one do you have your Robocop suit Oh, oh, Alan, no, come oh, on. I don't have it, but I, there's... Alan, you, you really got to get into this. On my Christmas list. Okay, so there's a RoboCop suit now, built by Sarcosa Robotics, which essentially you have to put yourself into it. It's a whole invention, and it's a whole skeleton that goes around your now whole... I was going to say, it's some kind of big exoskeleton. Yeah. And you have your arm powers and everything, and it allows you to do not only all your daily work that's physical... But extra work that's more physical and put no exertion on your body. Like Ripley in, in, yep. in Alien. And and track you. Um, so that's out now. And it um, just, you know, I'm going to tell you something. They won best um, invention in 2010 or 11 through Time Magazine. And now it's out. Okay. So, I can imagine that working not only on an industrial scale, but for people who maybe have their mobility impaired. You could lift two, 300 pounds and not even know it. Wow. Yeah, uh, I think it's fantastic in all of my history. But here we go. But Alan, I don't know. You're batting. I'm, I'm way behind. I don't know if I should come up with something next week. Uh. Um, and you can, um, now, the nice thing I like is this, and this is close to our hearts. Uh, and we'll see this everywhere. No, I, I don't believe it. Man, Alan, how many times you and I sat here or anyone said, I wish I could understand what my pet was saying. I wish I could talk oh, to my pet. a thousand we times. We all do. Okay. Yes. So you don't probably know about Mew, Meow Talk. No. Meow Talk is an application design, okay, by the engineer who previously worked on Alexa at Amazon. And you download the app and it learns you to communicate right now with your cat. Okay, well, what do cats have to say other than- Meows. Meows. Well, I'm, what I'm saying is, what do those meows say? It's like, I'm hungry, pet me, yeah. leave me there's alone. There's 13, there's, sorry, how many? 13 phrases right now that you can get out of a cat. And so, <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, I know, I know you're laughing. Uh, but, no, no, but hey. this is something that I've been asking for. I often look at my dog and, and say, what are you thinking? What's going on in your head? Tell me. Apparently, a cat has a very, very unique meows. And they have feeded away through artificial intelligence and movements to figure out what those meows mean. This blows me away. And that, guys, is this not like far side? <laughs> Pretty soon, we may not see it, but we are going to communicate with our animals. And that's what we want. This yes. is so cool. Yes. So I'm going to leave it on a high note on that one. Dr. Doodle actually coming into existence. Carter Lee co-founded Switch Energy in 2016 to help buildings get past the challenges of making sure enough of their parking spaces are available as charging stations for electric vehicles. This is harder than you might think, as you will soon find out.
One of the big things that we've seen over the last, I guess, what, five or seven years is the explosion in interest in EVs, electric vehicles. What exactly does Switch do to augment this market? What, how, how are you involved in this market? Yeah, so that's a great question. So Switch is addressing specifically the challenges of urban electric vehicle ownership. And what, what I mean by that is there are 25% of people live in buildings that, that they don't have access to, to home charging. So thinking about condominiums, apartments, um, you know, these high density buildings within um, like large urban centers. Um, you know, if you live in a single unit residential home with your own garage and your own driveway, it's fairly easy to own an electric vehicle because it's fairly easy to put in charging stations. But if you live in these condominiums with, you know, uh, you know, park, parking garages that are, you know, hundreds of cars, the, there's a logistical uh, complexity and a cost complexity of putting in charging stations. And that's where we come in. You know, we help um, large um, multi-unit residential buildings, offices, and parking garages uh, to put in electrical infrastructure to to provide that amenity for people who don't have access to home charging. You know, th- this is a, uh, a group of people that we like to call garage orphans, if you will. So we're addressing the challenges of garage orphans to own electric vehicles and to really push forward with the widespread adoption of electric vehicles. What kind of infrastructure is required to install one of these things? And, you know, what voltages are we talking about? And what about the adapters from the charger to the vehicles? Are they all the same or are there complications there? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, there is a universal standard for charging um, at home, at work, uh, for at least what we call level two charging stations, which are usually 208 volts or 240 volts at around 30 to 40 amps. So that's kind of like the the sweet spot for um, charging within these buildings. There is slower charging, what we call level one charging. That's equivalent of plugging your car into like a regular 110 volt socket. It takes a fair amount of time to charge. And then there's the really fast charging stations that we call uh, DC fast charging stations. And those are primarily designed for highways and for large um, kind of public destinations like shopping centers, where you get a full charge in around you know 30 to 45 minutes. But within, within the context of buildings, usually we're talking about the level two charging stations. So those are the ones that take about five hours to to charge a vehicle from from empty to full. What what about the adapters? I, I know that Tesla has one adapter, and then uh, maybe another manufacturer has a different one. What do you what do you do about that? Yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great question. And, you know, the great thing that when you buy a Tesla is that you cu- they give you a pack of adapters that essentially give you access to the standard uh, plug, which is called the J1772 plug. Um, you know, even though Tesla has a different kind of outlet um, connector, um, they have an adapter that allows these universal charging stations to charge their vehicles. So usually when we provide charging within a public setting, we, we use the public, uh, the, the universal adapter, the J1772 adapter that fits both Tesla cars and um, other non-Tesla cars, essentially. So there is a universal standard. On, on the DC fast charging side, it gets a little more complicated where there's you know two or three different standards. But again, Tesla cars come with 
or you can buy the adapters to be able to connect to these fast charging stations. So there is, in fact, a, a, a way to provide universal access to all cars um, through adapters that Tesla provides, essentially. Are you looking at magnetic induction pads? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, a lot of, uh, you know, because the idea is that as vehicles become more and more autonomous, it seems that wireless charging seems it seems to be uh, kind of hand-in-hand hand with that because, you know, what's the point of having an autonomous vehicle then if you stop to plug it in and charge it, right? So wireless inductive charging is, you know, becoming more and more prominent, uh, you know, to align itself with autonomous uh, electric vehicles. But I think there's still a, a bit of a hurdle to get to that point because the cars need to have a universal standard and the chargers need to be a universal standard. And they ha all have to align themselves to make sure that, you know, the wireless charging works well. There's definitely bodies being established globally to uh, kind of iron out the standards. But uh, at least from my perspective, I think that's maybe five to 10 years away until that becomes more uh, widespread. Oh, I think I think even longer, maybe, because I think um, you've got voltage safety. Um, you're not charging a cell phone here. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and and I've seen these before. They try. And, so I think that's a long ways away. But um, now when we're talking about Carter and we're talking about uh, charging stations. We are predominantly talking about, like you said, the, the condo market, the multifamily market. Um, so you do you do charging stations and say the big box retailer, parking facilities, um, are you primarily targeting um, multifamily? We, we target uh, any place with uh, like a large building, if you will. So high density building. So okay. yeah, like okay. but the, the core focus is really to solve the problem of people who don't have access uh, to charging at home. So if they don't have charging at home, then the next best thing is either at their workplace or at places that they frequent like malls and, you know, uh, shopping. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I see. I, I see. Yeah. Where the, the home yeah. isn't as big. I mean, it's nice to have it. Even if you live at home, and you yeah. want to charge again, but I see the big market being, like you said, the, the, the office, the, the, the condominium, the office tower, um, multi-parking spaces. I can't recall, uh, a new construction building that doesn't have slaw. It is. Yeah, you have to have a certain amount now, and um, it's going to go up. Right, Carter? Exactly, exactly. So uh, right now, it's on a municipal level where these standards are put in place. In Toronto, for all new multi-unit residential buildings, 20% of their parking spaces has to be um, EV-ready. huge. Yeah, exactly. And what, 20, Wait, 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 wait. 20%? Yeah, not hooked up. Ready. Ready. Okay. So energized outlets. So you have to have power that you can connect to 20% of the charging stations. And in, in Vancouver, it's 100%. So right now, when people are- Every every spot. Yeah. So every spot in a, in a new construction condominium or office block- In Vancouver. Has to be, in Vancouver, has to be EV ready. Yes, not offices. Currently still uh, multi, like for condominiums, multifamily buildings. There's I love it. Yeah, so- <laughs> You know, it's a big challenge for, for real estate developers uh, to, to provide that amenity because now, you know, they initially scoped out to work for maybe, you know, 20, 40 charging stations within those buildings. And now they're scoping it for 300, 400 charging stations. And that presents, like, electrically the infrastructure an immense challenge because now they have to upsize their electrical panels. They have to upsize, like, their conduits, have more conduits. And that's where we kind of come in as well is that, like, there's 
a fundamental load management um, kind of need to, to be able to, you know, share that existing energy or else, you know, you're what you initially scoped in for, for like, I don't know, like 2000 kilowatts of power. Now you're looking at 4,000 or 5,000 within a building. Yeah. So Carter, what you're really creating is your own power generation network that can be throttled based on the number of cars you have to it. Exactly. And, and that gets, that communicates in real time with the grid as well. So for the utilities and for the, for the building operators, because, you know, a, a, a lot of these new buildings have done a great job, you know, with their energy management through, you know, LED retrofits for HVAC upgrades. But, you know, imagine having a hundred electric vehicles charging at, in the middle of the day and what it does to your electricity bill. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. Absolutely huge. Yeah. So it's a, it's a big concern. And, and that's something that, you know, we're, we're, our technology and our company is focused on addressing essentially. Well, you're going to have to, right? Because we know it's going to happen. We know that my, my prayer is that we do go electric or type of electric because I'm all for the environment. <laughs> for um, sure, yeah. So therefore, therefore, this has to happen. And I think how you guys set up the networks, and I, I've seen them, and obviously, you know, we do a lot of work with economy and developers. Um, and the, um, you know, you got to have them. And I didn't know that it was 100 in Vancouver, but so you know, I'm all for that. I'm not all for probably, mm -hmm. it's unfortunate mm -hmm. for the cost, but maybe there's going to be some government incentives. I don't know. Okay. Well, let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about government incentives. Oops. Um, in Ontario, of course, uh, uh, electricity prices are huge, high, getting higher, sure. hugely subsidized by the government. Right. Uh, do you, do you work with utilities to somehow make this work on a financial level? Yeah, it's it's a great point, and you know the cost of electricity, as you mentioned, is is increasing. And the idea is that we want to promote uh, people to charge overnight as much as possible because that's where there's actually a surplus of energy, and it is quite a bit less expensive, right, in terms of a per kilowatt hour rate. Um, so you know the incentive of pushing people to charge at night. You know that the first thing is access. You know they need to be within the places where they are at night, overnight, which is where they they they're living. So, but to your point about managing electricity usage and how we work with the utilities, you know we're in quite a few pilot projects with you know Toronto Hydro with the IESO, which is the Independent Electricity Service Operator of of Ontario, and you know we're working with them to see how we can respond to grid conditions. So. You know, for example, it's on a really hot summer day and all the ACs are blasting and, you know, the, the grid is at its capacity. So usually what happens is, um, you know, they turn on these power plants. They're called peaker power plants for usually natural gas powered and they're in mint, right? You only use them when the grid is at capacity and all the nuclear reactors are maxed out and all the hydro, you know, um, uh, power plants are maxed out. So you turn on these extra power plants and that takes... That it's fairly complicated and it costs a lot of money. So, in a way to avoid that from happening, they have these programs, um, primarily like a, a demand response programs, or in Ontario it's called Global Adjustment, where they intend incentivize large consumers of electricity to, to to turn down their usage at certain times of the uh, the day or the of the year. And you know, for us being an operator of electric vehicle chargers, you know, that's like hundreds and thousands of of charging stations that we control. So we're working with the IESO to develop these programs where they need, when they need to reduce the load on the grid, we're able to respond to that in real time. Yeah. And remember, I mean, it makes sense that if, if I live in a condominium project, 
Um, not so much an office tower, but just think of this. I'm going to charge at night anyhow. So, I mean, it's not a big deal. I think the other thing you have to look at is, um, if I remember reading somewhere, the government or uh, there are subsidies given to builders if they put excess number of charges in or if they meet or they help or they give them deadlines or there was at one time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's actually quite a few um, incentives and I fully encourage anybody who's looking to, to install a charging station to look it up. It's, uh, it's available nationally through Natural Good. Resources okay. Canada. And there's okay. also an additional one in British Columbia if you, you know, that you can actually kind of uh, kind of stack with each other and kind of build upon each other in terms of the incentives that that provides incentives for both well, for multiple locations for offices for um, multi-unit residential buildings and for commercial settings. So you know pretty much every setting there's an incentive program and they usually Good. range around from from thirty to fifty percent of the entire cost. Of, of the of the installation, so it, that's pretty incredible for a, a developer. Absolutely, absolutely. Especially if if they're going to put in those that infrastructure anyways because of these regulations, why not save some money from it, right? Like it, it, it's there for you to to, to 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 apply for, and they're they're very well funded programs. And you know it, it makes sense. Why not to do it if you're going to do it anyways? And that's something that we at Switch kind of help out with as well in terms of the whole application process. Now, forgive me for asking a really stupid question. I live in a condo. I have an electric vehicle. I plug it in and charge my vehicle while I'm at home. Who pays for that electricity? Yeah, that's a, that's that, that's a, that's not a, a silly question at all. I think we get that's probably the most common question we get, and it's it's ultimately the drivers. And and that's kind of the services that we provide um, to the to the building is that we keep track of the energy usage from the from the drivers, we collect that money and then we remit it to the uh, the property management company or the condo corporation um, to pay the electricity essentially. So you know we provide access and we provide metering. Well, you're an energy processor, like a credit card processor. Exactly, exactly. So everything is just like a one stop shop in terms of managing the access and the metering and the billing and payments essentially. All right. So when I, when I go to a, there's, there's one parking lot I use and there's probably, I don't know, 15 or 20 EV lots, um, chargers, EV spaces. Are those free chargers or are they're not? Depends on the customer. It kind of depends on who you're going to see. Some will give it to you free. Others you pay with an app. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think it depends on what kind of location, right? Because we see in, especially in, you know, really premium parking lots that, you know, charge, I don't know, around like 30 to $50 a day, you know, uh, because these are premium parking lots, you know, they really see electric vehicle charging as an amenity to the parking, uh, you know, garage, especially when they're paying that kind of prices anyway. So a, a lot of the times, in those locations, the, the charging is free and it's complimentary and it provided as amenity. For locations, you know, that are not, you know, super premium, that, you know, the, the parking rates are much lower, you know, it does become a significant cost if it's offered for free. So in, in those cases, it's usually, you know, you pay separately, usually it's a dollar to a dollar fifty an hour to access the charging stations. So, you know, nothing substantial. You're probably looking at $10 for, for a full charge. Um, you know, to, and that's kind of provided in, in, in that location or that scenario. 
What about highways? I, I really want to get into an EV. I want my, my wife to get her next vehicle. I want it to be electric. But one of the things I have is range anxiety. And I worry about long distance so, travel. So let's talk about that. That's the area that I invest a lot into when I want to get Carter's input. Okay. So, so remember, that has nothing, has nothing to do with his charger. It has to do with the capacity of your battery. So, so Carter, I mean, we read all kinds of stuff and you're an expert. I'm not an expert other than I read a lot. As you know, we've got hydrogen. We have um, what everyone's using, like the Tesla uses as well. Um, and we have, uh, of course, the guys with uh, Bill Gates and group doing a solid state battery. So you got lithium, solid state, hydrogen. Um, where do you think we're going in your opinion? Are we going somewhere special? Right now, they're all meanwhile, you know, the big trucks are using hydrogen. The cars are using lithium. Um, obviously, if solid state was cheap enough, it would defeat everybody um, because obviously solid state uh, would run forever and we have to recycle it and all that stuff. But what is your opinion? Yeah. So, I mean, hydrogen is a, a totally different ballgame, obviously. And I think the, the, the component of hydrogen that, you know, needs to be worked out, in, in my opinion, is like, the infrastructure and the, the 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 greenhouse gas kind of emission impact. So the the concept of hydrogen is that it's super clean because like you know you could get yep. hydrogen from water. Yep. But the 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 challenge right now is that most of the hydrogen that we get, at least to try to uh, like power our cars, are from a byproduct of oil extraction. You know through natural gas. So you know using hydrogen you know, to power our vehicles, at least in this current setup of the, how we extract hydrogen is quite pollutive. You know, it's, it's quite, quite pollutant in terms of like how much impact there is uh, in terms of, you know, carbon emissions and that sort of thing. So I don't think a lot of people know I, that. I, well, I don't, I didn't. Like, I thought, so you're talking I, guys like Ballard battery. Yeah, there is exactly. So that's what most people think. It's like hydrogen is purely clean. You literally get it. Absolutely. Water. Yeah, I, I thought, yeah, you, 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 you get a tank of water. It's the you, best. It's the, no, no. But that's the argument. Yeah. What they say, the problem with hi, with hydrogen is it's too expensive. That's why you only see it in the big trucks now, well, right? Well, the, the other issue. The buses and the trucks. Well, the other issue too is it doesn't have as much power per, uh, per kilowatt. kilowatt or per weight, per liter, or whatever you want to measure Same it. Same thing. doesn't matter. As, yeah. As, as gasoline. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, those, okay. are, those are all okay. true. Those are all true. But that's the, the fundamental part is like, there are technologies that are still nascent that, you know, are able to, they're aiming to literally extract hydrogen from the air or from water. And that'll, when they reach that point, I think that then there's that argument to be made for, for an environmental sustainability perspective. But if we're doing hydrogen right now for sustainability, I don't think that that makes any sense because it's actually, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah you, I mean, I'm just amazing the number of articles I read where they just make hydrogen like, you know, the the the, the lost ark. And um, so then we're left with lithium, mm -hmm. um, which is everybody's using. Mm -hmm. um, and everyone's trying to make a lithium battery that goes longer and longer and longer and longer. What about sodium? Yeah, there's a lot of different battery chemistries that people are looking at. Like nickel is another one. You know, like you know, zinc is in, for long term long term energy storage is another one. I mean, I, I don't think we need to worry so much about uh, like you know exactly what the battery chemistry is going to be in five to ten years. We know that there is a gradual improvement every year of like five to ten percent in terms of its energy density. 
whether it's and they're all they're all competing we're going to get something good right? exactly exactly they're all <laughs> yeah, they're all improving they're all improving yeah and, you know you're getting more and more power for smaller smaller space and you know eventually like you know like we're looking at cars now you know the, the all the tesla the cyber truck is going to go like 500 kilometers on a charge you know like model threes are going 500 kilometers a charge so when you're all around like five to 700 kilometers a charge uh, and who cares? Yeah, who cares? <laughs> that's, a, that's a tank of gas. Yeah, who cares? Yeah. Exactly. And and the, then the next argument is on the highway is like, okay, but what if you go really far, right? And then you you have to charge. Yeah, and that's a good point. But if you're looking at the charging stations now, you know the ones that are coming out are 350 kilowatts instead of 50. So you're literally taking like 10, 15 minutes to charge a Porsche Taycan, and that that kind of speed is going to be more and more common on the highways. I agree. You know, I agree. So it, there's a lot of different things culminating to like this range anxiety being, you know, not an issue in the future. So let's circle back around to switch. Where does switch see itself in five to 10 years? We see ourselves as the predominant um, electric vehicle charging service within buildings because we view electric vehicle charging, not just as a amenity, but as an integral part of energy management within the building. You know, it's, it's so important that it's not just like a consumer of electricity, but it, it could also be a, uh, a distributor or a uh, producer of electricity. And when it, what I mean by that is we have a, quite a few pilots going on right now with utilities where we use electric vehicles actually as a battery energy storage device. You know, they actually store energy at night when it's really cheap and there's a lot of surplus energy. And we distribute it during peak You distribute time. it out. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, so, yeah. so it's like people with, with solar panels and a battery in the garage, you feed it back into the grid? Or use it yourself. Because, you know, like we were talking about time of day pricing, right? How Ontario electricity is really expensive. Well, think about just charging up your vehicle at night. And instead of using electricity during the day from the grid, just use it from your car, you know? So... It's kind of like having your own Tesla Powerwall, except you don't need to buy a separate equipment. But I think you have to really tell that story. Yeah. I think that that is the story that a lot of people don't. I knew that, by the way, only because I talked to your cohorts at your company. <laughs> but um, I know that story is not told. No, it's not. Because <laughs> anytime you can store energy, excess energy, or we'll call it, we all know that's yeah. huge. Yeah. Um, so I think you're right. You guys are on the right track there. Yeah, and, you know, and as you know, Alan, we think he's right as far as being part of the smart, whole smart building solution, which is why we actually do this podcast. Right. Um, because, you know, when we go into a lot of the big developers now, you know, we read their plate and we tie them to a bunch of different things they can do. We'll do this the same thing with the EV. So when they drive in, we'll recognize who they are and say, you know, they can go to these spaces. They just entered. They're allowed to go here. Um, and we'll work with companies um, to do that. And we think one sooner or later, it's one master application that does it all. This is really fascinating stuff. And it's going to impact uh, on anybody who is going to be buying a new car in the next three to five years. We want it to. Because, yes, I understand. I want Switch to be really big because I want everyone to be on, you know, I like what Neil's done in China because what they've done is to do batteries of service so people can afford cars. Um, I like anything that can afford every one of us to go out and get that, that should have one. I'm not saying everyone should have five cars, a EV, because I think EV is the future. So switch is kind of ahead of the game here. 
Well, good luck with Switch, Carter. This sounds, I've learned a ton here in the uh, 20 or so minutes that we've been speaking. I, I didn't know half this stuff. But, but Alan, nobody does. He, they know, I'm going to tell you now, because he goes and talks to developers and that, and engineers, they know, but I don't think the public know. No, this is true. Um, and so the idea is to, we want to really educate people on, on what they're doing um, and the impact. They're going to play the major impact on the market. Well, good luck with everything, Carter. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for being a guest on the podcast. And uh, let's see where all this goes. Thank you so much, Alan. Really appreciate it, Grant. And that's it for this edition of the Smart City Podcast. Thanks again to our guest, Carter Lee from Switch Energy, Inc. New programs are coming your way. We'll hear from more smart people and their ideas for connecting us together through smart technologies. If you have any feedback or questions for us, we'll take them. Send everything to feedback at thesmartcity.blog. That's feedback at thesmartcity.blog. Check out our website, which is thesmartcity.blog. You can find past programs as well as who and what else is coming up. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobile World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlay. Technical production by Rob Johnston. Executive assistant is Andrew Crawford. I'm Alan Cross. Thank you.